worry about me. Okay. All right, All right here we go. <laughs> awesome. Wrong tab. All right. Everybody shut up. <laughs> it's starting. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 97 for the week of December 6, 2015. <laughs> I am limited commercial interruption David T. Cole, and I'm here with cliffhanger accident Sarah D. Bunting. <laughs> player who plays to win Joe Reed. Take it down a notch, Marissa. Combative former catfish co-star Tara Ariano. Don't bring Charlemagne if you don't want to bring the heat. Heretofore unknown sister Mark Blankenship. Everybody forgets Clarissa. And Pepsi shill Eve Beatty. <laughs> Look at your fat stomach. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got it all. Oh in. my Ooh. God, we Ooh. did it, you guys. Welcome <laughs> back to the podcast. Uh, both Mark Blankenship and Eve Beatty. Hello. Hey, Hello. guys. Um, Mark and Eve are both, and Joe, who was absent last week. Welcome back, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, hi, uh, I was waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> and Sarah, who never left, but hi, Sarah. How's it going? Hi. <laughs> and hi. Dave, who forgot to hey, bring Bruni. somebody back the Starbucks uh, loaf from Starbucks this morning. Yeah, all right. That's fair. Monster. Um, we're here with both uh, Mark and Eve because we are talking about the mid-season finale of Empire, which both of them have been covering all this season on Previously.TV. If you have not been following their coverage, you've really been missing out. And what I want to uh, first talk about is the divide between the two of you on the matter of the song that fake Alicia Keys, Sky Summers. Oh. And... Oh. and um, Oh my god! I just go and just not even a hello. How are you? Gentle ramping up. <laughs> All right. So the last no, two wait, episodes wait, wait. of this first half of the season uh, were—I wouldn't say it was central, but Jamal and this new character played by Alicia Keys, Sky Summers, did a duet. One of you really likes it, and one of you doesn't. <laughs> Please discuss. <laughs> well, to be fair, this is the only thing I really think Mark and I strongly disagree on. I know Every that's why I brought thing it up. he says, I'm like. Of course. Thanks, Tara. Thanks for stirring up the shit. Well, I will state my case first. I think that the song is fine in the sort of pantheon of one moment in time sort of songs. I could imagine the song playing over like a montage of triumph and tragedy at the Olympics or something like that. But given that this was presented to us within the show as um, Sky Summers wanting to get more edgy by working with the Empire people and you know basically defecting just slightly from her label how on earth is this song edgy this is a song a choir would sing at a high school graduation <laughs> there is not an edgy uh, thing about it it's pretty and alicia keys is great on the show i love her i love everything they're doing with the character i love you know we're gonna get into it obviously but i love all the stuff about her and jamal i think that's all super interesting and i'm not just saying that because i was a super fag hag in high school but i mean that song if you're telling me that this is the song that is gonna change her career i'm like how soft was she before <laughs> mark well, your counterpoint okay. <laughs> counterpoint blanket ship go so let me first of all say that eve and i actually did not know one another until we both started writing about this show and yeah. i feel we have had a true friendship blossom over twitter as we Absolutely. have shared each other's outrage about the stupidest things in the world that happened on this TV show. Which is great. And also how hard it is to understand what freaking Terrence Howard says sometimes. I know. <laughs> we help each other out a lot with translation on that, I will say. <laughs> uh, but let me just say this. I have to say that 
even without meaning to, you made my argument for the pro side when you said that this song sounds like one moment in time. Because to me, I was like, yes, done. There, I, I rest my case. I say that because that's how I was feeling too. I was like, don't tell me that one moment in time is a pejorative. No. Don't step over here and tell me that Miss Whitney didn't know some shit in Seoul, okay? Because she did. But uh, I think that Joyner you... died for that song. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. It's true. She had <laughs> regrets. Nothing. That's right. <laughs> but um, here's the thing. I think that that song is awesome, and I tend to maintain my sanity as I watch and think about Empire by experiencing each moment completely divorced from the context of every other moment, because mm-hmm. that's how the show's written anyway. So I feel like just in and of itself, that song was so good in that big power ballad way that I was totally in the tank. However, I take Eve's point that the song does not sound edgy, but I would counter that we learn in her final appearance that the song is edgy for her because she acknowledges her blackness, which is what the song is about. And they talk about Malcolm X and all of this other stuff. And I think that for her, the edginess is actually being black. Now, whether or not a pop female superstar having to pretend like she isn't black in 2015 in order to have fans was a matter for you, Rihanna, and I to all talk about later. <laughs> but So I do think that there is actually a contextual basis for the rebellion of the song. But again, the way that I mostly judge everything on this show is the moment-by-moment visceral response I'm having, regardless of any sort of coherent logic. And on that score, it actually does get me to the store to buy a lighter that I can then put in the air and wave from side to side. <laughs> I, I do feel go like ahead. The, the racial thing, I feel like that lead was super buried, though. I wish that they had sort of led with that when, I mean, they had so many opportunities to sort of talk about the race stuff in their meeting on the previous episode, but that, of all freaking people, Charlemagne <laughs> is the guy who's like, I'm going to ask the tough racial questions. I liked him on Catfish, but... <laughs> I was like, really? This is the guy? I mean, they couldn't have brought Sway in to do it. Yeah. I know. Uh, guest star Sway. My my <laughs> thoughts on that song Represent. are twofold. One is that in that mid-season finale when they're performing it, considering it is the song Powerful is like, as you say, a, a, a sort of a Black Lives Matter you know, anthem. Mm-hmm. They really are smiling a lot while they were singing it for my taste. Like, I feel like they should maybe have more of a grave attitude about it. And the other sure. thing is that um, I feel like I have heard, but because I watch Empire, I watch, I've heard that song about as much as I've heard the big Adele song right now. And to me, they're the same song. I'm sorry if that's <laughs> blasphemy. I feel like you could play them on top of each other and they're like even in the same key, perhaps. And like, to, so to me, they've, they've turned into the same song. Now, Eve, you brought up the uh, the matter of the Jamal um, Sky relationship and how scandalous that is. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, I just, I mean, I do, and I think that, you know, this is a point that Mark made really elegantly, that this is the big scandal on Empire, um, made me, as a previously mentioned, almost 45-year-old person, it really sort of warmed my heart that we are at the point where, you know, the one of the top-rated shows on TV, the big shocker is, you know, a guy, you know, hooked up with a chick. And so I sort of loved that. But I also loved how um, on the show, Jamal sort of addressed it head on and, you know, talked about how you sh- don't need to have to label stuff and, you know, fluidity. And I thought that it opens the door for, you know, further sort of progress in that area. And I also think, you know, I'm saying this, you know, as 
a white privileged person, but I know that the whole, the issue of homosexuality and fluidity of orientation is even more fraught in the African-American culture than it is in, you know, for general whiteies. And so that the show is sort of addressing that in an interesting way. And it's, you know, and that they even were having like, you know, Lucia say, oh, you're fixed. And, you know, Jamal's Ooh, so yes. repulsed yeah. by that. I thought that that was, I mean, that was really exciting writing to me. And as someone who, you know, grew up in Indiana and has seen some of the worst of how people deal with that stuff, it just, it made me so happy. Yeah, that was a tough scene. And he, and not only that, but the one where he later talks to William Fickner and is like, is so gleeful about telling him that Jamal <gasps> isn't gay anymore. It's like, oh, buddy, you have, you have a lot of problems that you are not addressing. <sighs> One of the things that I have really enjoyed about Eve's coverage is that she really does articulate so well how terrible Lucius is just in every conceivable way. But I have to say that it's one of the most fascinating things to me about watching this television show is the degree to which they are creating him as an all-out monster. I mean, he really is – I mean, he's a murderer, yes. He – uh, earlier in the season, you might remember, I think it was in the season premiere, compared himself to God and to Jesus without <laughs> irony. Yep. Um, he never takes an opportunity to remind us, directly or indirectly, that he hates his children's success if it in any way distracts from his success. Uh, I, I'm fascinated by what a hissively evil character he is. And yet at the same time, they keep trying to use Kelly Rowland. <laughs> they keep trying to use kelly Rowland to give him some kind of uh to make him empathetic in some way but i just don't i i so it makes my brain melt trying to figure out if they believe which which version of the story does the show itself believe is is lucius someone i'm supposed to sympathize for and if so how do i forgive the enormous amount of stuff that he's done that's evil or is lucius's background supposed to be I don't know what, because to me, I don't see how we can actually overlook his his Jafar level of <laughs> evil. Well, and it's not even just the flashbacks, although that is a big part of it. But like that character is constantly getting screwed over, and like by Marissa Tomei and by Hakim and by Naomi Campbell and by this person and that person, and it's like, are we supposed to feel sympathy for this? Because like those moments are never played as like triumphant and i know that like right. it's just sort of this like mishmash of like soapy stuff which is good um in general i feel like i don't use soapy as a pejorative although exception <laughs> to that rule is this fucking thing with jamal and alicia keys which i it sounds like you guys are feeling it a lot more than i am which <laughs> is not not at all i find it's it's that thing in as somebody who's watched a lot of soap operas that thing where a soap opera will introduce a gay character or two and they'll have like their little like relationship storyline and then they reach the end of that and it's just like okay well now it's time to like break them up but we can't have three gay characters on the show <laughs> so like what's the alternative well he's just going to get drunk and sleep with a straight lady and then they're going to have like whatever like a pregnancy scare and like that's not quite what this is going for but that the end of the penultimate episode is when he kisses her, yes? Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. I, like, I literally was just like, and I'm out. Like, oh. that seemed so, that was so, like, last straw to me. And I was already losing patience with this season. Um, but that, I don't know, that really, especially because it's Alicia Keys. And, like, all that that entails, rumor mill-wise. Like, right. <clears throat> so, I don't know. And didn't she, I mean, wasn't she the one in um, Smoke and Aces who had the 
like assassin lesbian relationship with Taraji. Yeah. Oh, oh that's interesting. And then How she very was rescued by Common, and she just said <laughs> chemistry with everyone, including like furniture and her, her hotel room. So if that story isn't working, that seems like yeah, it's it's definitely not on her. I wanted to ask you guys. I don't know if anyone is still watching Nashville at the same time as this show. Hello. Oh, okay. Yay! Um, and just talk about, especially vis-a-vis the gay character issues, because I stopped watching Nashville, but it does seem like now they that they finally let Will come out. Yeah. They might be struggling a little with what to do with him productively, which is like, this is a soap opera about the music business, maybe... That's why him. gay characters struggle in soap operas so much. It's because... Unless you have six gay characters on a show, you don't have enough to like really get into like the bed hopping and triangles and sort of like that kind of thing that soaps thrive on. Right. But I but think then again, like, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say what both of these shows have in common other than the music is that they, as you said, that, you know, in the in the black community, it's still hard for some people to come out. And I think that's true in country as well. There's still a, like a wide conservative streak. So yeah. it would be harder to imagine Will Lexington from Nashville having a smooth career, you know, in the country world than if he were like a pop star or something. So that, I mean, that's interesting, I guess. Um, <clears throat> but I, I feel like his, because he's only now coming out, he's definitely much less comfortable with himself than Jamal is. And so their uh, storylines are really different to me. I, I wouldn't have even necessarily drawn that comparison, even though now that you've said it, it's pretty obvious. Right. Like I, I think def- it seems oh. just from editing the particles, like they're already starting to be like, there's a checklist mm. of gay character exiting the closet moves. Yes. Yeah. He's making most of the standard ones. And then they're going to run out of things for him to do. And it's like, just have him have record company drama. That's yeah. what everyone else is doing. Yeah. I am dying to see a crossover between these two shows. Yes, <laughs> like at the actual Grammys, there should be a <laughs> That would actually be amazing. Yeah. That would be really oh, yeah. good. <laughs> Well, Not, or don't you mean the ASAs, the yeah. American Song Awards? <laughs> and, by the, and by the way, my, 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 one, That's right. my one thing I want to add, uh, when you're doing uh, graphics for fake TV shows within a TV show, don't just default to the, you know, the serif font that's first in your menu. <laughs> like, New Times Roman is not the font you use for the American Song Awards. It's the American Sound Awards. It's an even dumber name it's than that. Oh, worse. right. And also, even worse. when you're doing your uh, feed on TV and then it goes to the smartphone, you just don't squish it. Like, they took a, a, a TV ratio and squished it to a portrait iphone ratio can i can i fan wank that for one second i can't believe i'm about to say this because i think snapchat is so stupid but i think we were supposed to think that was a snapchat reveal and that's why it was that size yeah i know but but, okay but i don't think it squishes the aspect ratio of video like it was like a 1970s kung fu film all i know is that for two (laughs) seconds last week refinery 29 had the snapchat exclusive on the girls trailer and it was it was just like the middle strip of the trailer Oh yeah. God. Yeah. Okay, but it wasn't the whole trailer squished. It was the it was it was no, cropped. No, it was yes. Yeah, that's Sorry. not what they did here. They squished okay. it. Sorry. So everything was like Look. tall and 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 thin. Oh my God. I'll stop defending point. Snapchat now. So that's why I'm not watching Empire anymore. <laughs> well, but you know what? That honestly is indicative of a larger lack of visual elegance that I think often uh, greets 
some of Empire's weakest moments. So <laughs> oh, the Cookies Cookout logo? How about that? Oh, my that? God. Oh, man. I mean, literally craft project, oh, third yeah. grade, print shop. Gosh, you're just keeping I it just real. I that so many, like, dramatic moments of the season were Cookie talking about Cookies Cookout, and I couldn't take it seriously because it just sounds so silly. <laughs> like, well, like, I've been dreaming about this for a long time. It's called Cookies Cookout. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, no. But, but she, also she kept just... saying that, but it's like, no, you you got it. You stole it off your, you know, your gang member boyfriend's laptop because he was doing it for someone else. You haven't been dreaming about it for a long time. Yeah, it's an idea he planted in your head so he could scam money out of you. Well, and well, isn't it also just like... the perfect Empire plot line that Cook, it's just, just like the show that then, she, okay, so she creates all this fake uh, excitement about it. it. It totally controls the plot for three episodes, and then it just never happens. It just disappears. <laughs> yeah. It's not that it happens and something goes wrong. In- She's standing in front of everyone in prison, and she's like, you guys, this is a really rough week because I was going to have this event. And I'm like, everyone is in prison, Cookie. Stop bitching about your stupid (laughs) fucking cookout in a fucking playground. But they were all, like, eating it up, too. But it's also, like, how we've been, like, preparing all season for this, like, uh, baby storyline. And now Rhonda, at the very least, the baby's dead. And, like, Rhonda's probably dead, too. And it's like, glad (laughs) you spent... All that time talking about what like a sucker Lucius is for babies and whatever. I'm but like, that's be- that's how does so he feel that- about broken pelvises? <laughs> but that's because Anika's got a baby. Yes, she hers is going to be the one true lion heir now. Yeah. Well, I did like that. How like at the very least, if you're going to do something like that, at least have it be in service of turning Anika into Kimberly Shaw. Like, yeah. Give her a reason yeah. to continue existing. Fuck, she yeah. hasn't had one all season. Right. Uh, un- unlike say. Uh, Tiana, who, as I know I keep bringing this up, but that girl is in the opening credits and she's never on the show. What kind of deal did Soraya's agent make with the devil? Her presence (laughs) surprises me every time she shows up. It's like, oh, yeah. Her. Okay, bye. Totally. Well, I was so happy when she was performing at the Aces, and then that song was also super shitty. I kind of love it. We've already graduated to calling it the Aces, giving it... Oh, yeah, I'm giving it total legitimacy. Do you guys remember Aces 2012 when... (laughs) Yeah. It was such a scandal. But, you know, going back to the question of the gay characters, I also makes me think about... it's While it's true that there's really only a handful, a, a smattering of gay men on the show, there are so many occasional lesbians on the show. Because yeah. Tiana oh, yeah. was an occasional lesbian. Yep. Now Camilla and the beautifully named Mimi White Man <laughs> is, a, is an occasional lesbian. Like, I feel like, though, that that somehow supports your point, Joe, that like it's okay to have more lesbians than it is to have gay men. Right, because they're more accepted. There's more accepted fluidity there. So yeah, they yeah. more walk-backable, totally. Yeah. Is that well, and also, the official Mimi name for a group of gay men? Well, and also, Mimi only seems to hook up with guys when it's Lucius. Wait, hold on. Did, well, did you just ask crack. if the official name for a group of gay men is a yeah, smattering? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, the, is that like a herd of gay men is known as a smattering? <laughs> well, you really got a sibling that ass. It's a smattering. Smattering. <laughs> with an exclamation point at the end. Uh, Eve, sorry, you were saying while well, Dave was well, the whole thing, like 
the Mimi like lesbianism. It's like, okay, so she's married, you know, she's an official lesbian, but oh, I'll go make out with Lucius. Like that whole thing, yeah. like I'm not like the expert on three ways. Um, I know you guys think I am, but I'm not. <laughs> but I think that you can get away with a three way without making out with everyone. So that it's like, let's have some romantic kissing with Lucius. I mean, the whole three way <laughs> was it? Lucius is all like, oh no. It's Lucius authoritatively. <laughs> well Lucius implied in that meeting they had that Mimi was recording that they've had multiple three ways yes. like this and which of course disgusted me my vagina closed up I <laughs> had to get divorced everything was so gross but so are they just like that's hanging out making would. out all the time that's also not <laughs> professional <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know that professionalism is what has marked their relationship since it began <laughs> it's a public company you guys I just keep thinking about the shareholders I'm concerned yeah. our economy no, is at stake here do people because, understand oh what God. a bubble we're in? Because to go back to what I was saying about plot lines that come and go, we spent the whole fucking first season hearing nothing except we're going public to IPO, my dream of an IPO. All I've ever wanted in my life was an IPO. Then the second it happens, he's like, I hate this IPO. Screw the board. You're my enemy. Get rid of the board. Well, I love that secret video where he was just like, you know what I'm going to do to the board once I'm in charge? I'm going to fire everyone. On the That's board. just between you and me. Smash that. Smash that. <laughs> Yeah, the business. Oh I agree God. with Mark. The business intrigue is by far and away the most boring, stupid part of the show, and they could excise it, and I would be perfectly happy. I don't care about any of it. And the worst is when you they actually showed the board. And you're like, how did all these fucking randos get to be on the board of this hip hop company in the first place? Like one of the guys totally. I said to Dave, he looks like the Texan who's always making bets on The Simpsons. I don't know <laughs> well, why he's Margo Martindale that Thirsty went down on in the elevator. Yeah. Yeah. How did that lady get a majority share? So, Tara, yeah. that makes Empire the Pierce of Empire. <gasps> it's true. Oh, yes, the company itself. Mind? You did. Uh, well, I'm still, I, 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 despite all of these uh, very salient criticisms, I still fucking love the show. And even if it was nothing but like one cookie scene a week, it would be enough to sustain me. So I'm very excited to keep watching it in March. Oh, me too. Joe is out. Who who else is back in? Don't get me wrong. I never really I, was in, but I'm interested to see how people feel like it was like this huge phenomenon. And then the first season ended and I was like, well, it's got to have burned out probably almost. So I'm not going to get in yeah. for season two. So do you feel like it's sustaining? Like craziness aside, it's still as entertaining as it was when it was new. It is to me. Well, and it's certainly, it's still going to get its opportunity to keep sort of going along. And I can see a show like this not having any kind of, like, sustained trajectory at all. So, like, it could, like, shoot up to a peak at any moment. Mm -hmm. Which is sort of why I would keep watching through the spring season, albeit on a short leash. Because, like, who the fuck knows what next week's episode is going to entail. I have to say that if I were not writing about the show, I would have stopped watching it. But I am quite glad that I have not stopped watching it because mm -hmm. what I had to do was train myself. Like yeah, and I had to train myself to learn how to watch this show in terms of what I was expecting <laughs> from it. And yeah. I say that kind of as a joke, but also not really. Like, if I just go in and I just want each individual moment to be exciting and i don't care if anything that happens now connects to what happens then or later then i really do have a good time and it is like a show that i watch and it just uh 
it gives me a it gives me like a, a sort of adrenaline shot to the heart every week, and then I go watch some of your smart person shows later. <laughs> Love it. All right. Dave, it's the holidays. It sure is. That means it's time for buying gifts. Uh, yep. And we always have, everyone has one or two people that are very hard to buy for. Like old people. Old people is a great example. They already have everything they think they want. If they want something, they just buy it. They don't wait for a gift-giving occasion. That screws over you, the gift giver. Yeah, and don't forget about uh, co-worker secrecies. Sure, where you uh, you may know things that they're interested in, but you may not have a context for how that translates into a gift situation. Uh, we're talking sports. For example, that's a great example. Or maybe you know someone who's really into musicals. You don't right. know about musicals. Um, this is where Viva Gift comes in. So what Viva Gift does, Viviana will have you fill out a questionnaire about your chosen recipient, uh, what their interests are, what their favorite color is, you know, basically everything that she needs to know about them. And then she will custom curate not just a box of gifts. The box itself is even part of it. So, She's the caring, thoughtful gift giver. You're not. <laughs> but the caring, thoughtful gift giver you could pretend to be with her help. Here's how it works. Um, it's flat rate service for $50 gets you not just $40 worth of gifts, but the box they come in. Um, you can scale up from there, uh, either in size of box or number of gifts for a custom price quote. And she can do it all within five to seven business days from the day you place your order and give her all the details. So what you want to do, go right now to previously.tv slash gift and that will take you to her website and she will get started getting the gift that will make you the hit of the holidays this year. And so we wanted to illustrate the concept. So I asked her to do one for Donna Martin. Yes. And this is what Viviana wrote. She knows uh, having a Christmas birthday sucks because Viviana's own father's birthday is December 24th. So he's been getting the lame combo gift for years. I gotta say, uh, prospective parents, (laughs) Mm -hmm. pay attention to when you're, you know, doing stuff. (laughs) Um, Because she knows that the combo gift is lame, she would do a gift that is not Christmassy at all. So instead, inside a a mermaid-themed box, Donna would find an I Love Lucy wig, some chattering teeth, a copy of Comedy for Dummies, a Color Me Bad Cuss single of Dream On, a full-length pant, Uh she needs it, uh, and all in a cushion of shoulder pads and condoms. Donna Martin birthdays. All right. So if you want your vivid gift, it's a great service. Really smart. Uh, go to previously.tv slash gift, and that will forward to her site where you can uh, fill out a questionnaire, let her know who you're buying for, and then you'll get a personalized gift that will impress that person for sure because you're lazy and you don't know anything about them and you don't want to do the work. That's where vivid gift comes in. Thoughtful uh, without putting all the thought into it. Previously.tv slash gift. I'm Every really time. sorry about that uh, transition, Viviana. <laughs> like a nice, not murdery lady. Uh, welcome back to The Blotter Presents. This week I'd like to talk about... This is a mouthful. The Blotter Presents, Barbara Walters Presents, American <laughs> Scandals. Um, whatever else you think about uh, Baba, this feminist really admires her because she survived a metric ton of crap from Harry Reasoner and others thrown at her back in the day, and she came out on the top of the heap. Plus, there's something really sort of amazing and comforting about her pronunciation of the word murder. <laughs> Murder. I love her. Any hoodle, uh, Walters... 
who is now in her mid-80s, has a special event series on the Investigation Discovery Channel, obviously, called (laughs) Barbara Barbara Walters Presents American Scandals. It's basically an excuse to recycle her vintage interviews with the likes of Eric and Lyle Menendez, Cato Kalin, and John and Patsy Ramsey, and throw them into a remix blender with present-day interviews and voiceover. Walters is not everyone's favorite, and I wouldn't put this American Scandals alongside the staircase in the annals of TV true crime, but it's a solidly done standard investigation discovery offering, especially compared to the risible serial thriller, which apparently is a fetch they're still trying to make happen and (laughs) beg them to quit it. Walters does get access to people other shows and journalists can't. And Dan and I never get tired of the snippet in the credits in which Walters flabbergasts at Lyle Menendez. You're, quote, just a kid who killed your parents. <laughs> <laughs> Episodes include the Menendezes, John Bonet, OJ, Jim Baker, some switched to birth lady I never even heard of, and the murder of John Lennon and others. Wow. And if you get past Walters' some disconcerting appearance in the interstitials, she is one of those famous seniors who now looks like someone who dressed up as herself for Halloween <laughs> or a dog costume version of herself. It is a solid B-plus listen for while you wrap presents or pay bills. New episodes air Monday nights at 10 Eastern. As we record this, uh, it is a Monday and Mark David Chapman is tonight. Jim oh Baker is next week. That's the 14th of December. Happy holidays. <laughs> That's good. Not for the Menendez's. <laughs> Uh, not to uh, before I get into this, and not to belabor uh, the point about Barbara Walters' speech impediment, but presents American scandals could not be more of a landmine field for her particular struggles. See, you do wonder what uh, take they were on, like mm. American scandals. Oh, I American her. scandals. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, Tiny Triumph is for me this week. Triumph. I don't know why I dropped the F on that. Twiumph? Tiny Twiumph. We're none of us perfect, Joe, is what we're learning, I think. Yeah, I guess. None of us perfect. Someone should shut up about uh, Barbara Walters. Um, Look out, Midtown Manhattan. I'm back in the realm of the gainfully full-time employed. Hey! I, last Monday, started uh, my job as senior digital reporter and producer for Decider.com, which is affiliated with... The New York Post. Um, I'm working. Are you a terror tot? <laughs> I'm Jacko on his back. <laughs> you won the lotto. I think is safe to say. The employment <laughs> terror tot wins New York employment lotto. He's a headless body in a topless bar for sure. Oh, damn! Got there first. Um, so yeah, I will be writing about television and movies, particularly uh, in the realm of what is streaming on. Uh, on your old stream box, whatever you want to do that. Um, that's where I've been writing all the uh, Today in TV History posts yes. since last February. Excellent. So it's, uh, know if you've already sort of bookmarked me there, which you better have. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's or horribly threatening. What a terrible thing to say. <laughs> the editor um, is... Joe, uh, that's how it works now. You work for the Daily there. News. That's, that's the tone you have to take. Yeah. Uh, exactly. what, uh, what is today in TV history? The Post. Uh, today, today in TV history uh, is Angels in America, uh, uh, in 2003. Oh, oh my gosh. God. I know. 2003? Yeah. Oh, my God. A long time ago. So I wrote a very sort of uh, detailed and loving post about that because it is one of my very favorite things. And your boss is an old uh, 
EHG guest, right? Mark, yeah, Mark Rambo. EHG guest Mark Graham, mm-hmm. who uh, was here to talk about. God, now I can't remember what he presented for the camera. A long time Twin ago. Peaks. Twin Peaks. Oh yeah, that's yes, right. Twin it Peaks. Was. That's right. That's, right. That was that's what introduced me to Twin, Twin Peaks. I was like for the that's longest right. time not watching, and then I was like, "This is the best." Yep. And is uh, is Tyler still work there? He does. No, not. I actually Tyler went out and I went in. So ah. Yep. Sunrise transition. Sunset. Changes in the night. <laughs> yes. Congratulations. <laughs> yes, I know. It's time to go around the dial. Tara, you're first. Um, I will be brief. Uh, when we talked about American Horror Story earlier this season, Dave talked about how there's the periodic American Horror Story complete reset, and that just happened, uh, even <laughs> though the last episode that aired as we record this was episode uh, eight, either eight or nine, whatever. It's it's far along in the season, but there's still quite a few left to go. Um, and they've just revealed the identity of the Ten Commandments killer, which was A, not a surprise, and B, like, what else is going to happen now? <laughs> like, I'd sort of thought that was going to be the story of the season. I mean, I expected certainly there to be a lot of, like, cul-de-sacs along the road that would be, you know, weird and strange and probably pointless see called the sex and the road tar <sighs> countess elizabeth's vampire parents bricked into the wall like and then we found out their whole story and then they were gone like what's the point also there all of their interactions <laughs> in that episode were like were you guys not talking to each other this whole time you've been bricked up in the wall for like 80 years okay whatever <laughs> um but uh as i said this the reveal of the ten commandments killer as John Lowe is not a surprise. Um, and I am sure as several people who don't follow me, but for following the AHS hotel Twitter tag on Wednesday night, when I posted, why are there still five more episodes? We're like, cause there's obviously more to the story. Thank you, strangers. I understand how TV works. <laughs> My point more or less was like, that should have been the finale. How else are they going to continue wasting my time? Um, this no, show is very frustrating. I don't understand. There was more story to tell. Was there, though? Really? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess there cares, will be. You know, we had our um, discussion about, like, how far we were going to get. Yeah. And we were going to do updates. Yeah. Here's my update. Bailed out after episode four. There we go. Mm-hmm. Joey, I assume you're still watching it, though. I am, but I'm, like, a couple behind. This was actually news to me who was the oh, killer, but that's sorry. right. No, God, whatever. Yeah, I mean, the whole skip ahead. Yeah, Yeah. it's it was and it it, like and it's a total fight club reveal like, oh, he just didn't realize it. Like every time he left the hotel, he got amnesia. It's so dumb. Yeah, no, he was the obvious choice from the beginning. Of course he was. His amnesia was geofenced. Yes. Yeah. uh Well, I mean, visited the entire classroom full of vampire killers. No, that was a whole thing. They've never come back to it. There's a horde of vampire children tearing the city apart. Why is no one talking about that? Exactly. That's Mm -hmm. that's what I've been thinking for the last two episodes that I've watched. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, say what you will about the strain, but when they start with vampire killers, uh, vampire children, rather, they fucking commit to vampire children. (laughs) (laughs) I hear. I don't know. I don't watch it anymore. All right. That's all I have to say about American Horror Story this week. Mark Blankenship in the Blankenship chair. And it is my pleasure to talk to you about the greatly competent The Wiz Live, (laughs) which 
which received an enormous amount of praise, at least in Twitter, and a more muted amount of praise online uh, from the critic sorts, because I feel it really was the first of these NBC live musicals that wasn't a complete embarrassment in some major way. And therefore, (laughs) by being a solid C, it actually started to feel like an A. Um, Mm -hmm. I watched the show, and there was... There's no getting around the fact that that is not a good musical, if you ask me. I mean, it's a serviceable musical, but it's not a great musical. But the thing that did make it enjoyable and not embarrassing in the way that, say, Allison Williams and Carrie Underwood were embarrassing (gasps) is that all of these people could sing, and they all seemed like they had things going on behind their eyes. Mm -hmm. And Mary J. Blige, as the evil witch, just gave me and smatterings around the world life. So <laughs> I I feel like that for me, um, this was, uh, as I put on Twitter, there were so many times when I was just screaming, yes, serve it, yes, over and over yeah. again. And it wasn't out of any particular belief that what I was seeing was a grade A entertainment product, but it was just that I have such a deep love for people who can get up and just holler and be great at hollering. And by when I say holler, of course, I mean singing with passion and volume. Yeah. And I feel like I got a lot of that. And I still wish that there would be one of these that would choose what I consider to be an actually great musical as opposed to a musical that doesn't necessarily offend anyone. That will probably never see the live fun home, however. So <laughs> I, uh, I feel like that w- what, if, if they can maintain the level of casting that they did for The Wiz, then NBC's live musical bonanzas may actually be um, – not terribly unpleasant holiday traditions, which in this day and age is perhaps all we can ask for. That's what I have to say about that. I'm already looking forward to next year's, honestly. I think I liked it even better than you. I thought it was a solid B. And it's always a good sign when your worst cast member is in your smallest role, like that common was sort of in and out and didn't bother things too much. He was terrible, but like he wasn't there very long. And What happened to that guy? He used to... He used to be good, right? Yeah. Or at least not that... Not that. And then he hosted a furniture show, and I was like, even I can't do it. <laughs> well, you guys, it was just, but let's not forget, it was just a few months ago that he performed Glory at the Academy Awards. That was pretty awesome. Mm. Oh, sure. I just mean as an actor. Like, yeah. he oh, 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 yeah. yeah as yeah, an actor, and was not so bad. So. Uh. Right. <laughs> I agree with Joe. I wouldn't I would say I would rate it higher than a C, but I also I mean what makes it exciting is that this particular cast did not seem like they were scared shitless every single second they were on screen, which is what right, right. marked most of the sound of music and especially Peter Pan for me. Like Allison Williams was so out of her depth and as soon as she stepped on stage you felt like she was like, Oh, this was a mistake and it was. Yeah. Um but yeah. like all everyone in the Wiz really seemed like they were having fun and that made it fun to watch for me because I don't know that show at all, and I uh, really enjoyed it. Dancing was great I really too. But I that movie, I have to say, I know it's not well regarded, but I have a soft spot for it. Well, that's what I wanted to ask because I it's the the live one is on my DVR, but who else has seen the the movie? Is I I had the record, I broke the record. I listened to it so much <laughs> as a kid. How does it compare to the movie, which I adore? I haven't it's, seen the movie. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. It makes more sense than the movie in terms mm-hmm. of a story. It's less... I mean, the Diana Ross kills those songs. Like, she's fantastic, mm. but she makes no goddamn sense with Dorothy. <laughs> like, um, but I think, it's, I think they both get by for me on Charm. The Wiz, the mm-hmm. movie, feels longer than this felt. This one moved at a pretty decent clip, I thought. 
I also will say, I think it's a huge... I have to give huge kudos to the casting people who found Shanice oh, Will- yeah. Williams because yep. she's like a legitimate... She's she's somebody. Like, I was pleased to be watching her. She's really got something. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that they, rather than going with a, a star in the lead role that maybe wasn't going to be up to the task, I'm so glad that they took the gamble of putting an unknown who was actually great into this the role. This is a template they should follow. Is an unknown with talent in the lead and then stack your supporting cast with names who can and just totally. bury the Christopher Walkins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or don't have them. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll all be thinking that when Julianne Hough plays Sandra D in Greece oh, next year. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right, Eve, your turn. So um, I want to talk to you guys about Great Pottery Throwdown. Have any of you guys watched this show? <laughs> no, but I'm really excited to hear everything about it, and I'm not joking. Okay, well, and I'm, I'm glad you say that, Tara, because Tara, because I think that one of the people who would really love this show is your niece and my favorite tied with monty <laughs> face off correspondent live Liv would love it i think that your sister would love it so i want to i mean i want to make a personal recommendation to them and if they don't like it i will take full responsibility so it comes to you it's on bbc2 it's currently airing um i go to england every week to watch it mm-hmm. um because i love it that much um it's from the same people who did the great british baking show so if you guys uh, liked that show build. and the structure and the overall ethos of camaraderie and all this weird England stuff that you've never heard of that everyone talks about like it's normal. You are going <laughs> to love this show. I mean, it's, it's so what it, this, this is all about pottery. They all are working at this place called Stoke-on-Trent, which is apparently real and not in Narnia, <laughs> and they claim England. is the home of pottery. So you're learning all <laughs> this stuff about pottery and bone china and plates and all this, and I know that this sounds like super dumb. No, but it, no, it is sounds amazing. So, you know, it is. It's so amazing. I mean, especially, I mean, like people like Sarah are going to automatically like it because she loves that processy stuff, but I also think, I mean, it's not like I'm a chef, but I still love the British Baking Show and even like MasterChef, right? I don't make my own clothing, but I like Project Runway. I'm not a monster makeup person, but I like Face Off. It's that same sort of thing where you sort of become an amateur OJ trial expert (laughs) on this product throughout. So there's a host who is better than most American hosts named Sarah Cox. Apparently she's some sort of DJ. There are these two master potters that are sort of the judges just like uh, Mary and uh, Paul are on uh, the British Baking Show. The Master Potters are Kate Malone and Keith Brimer-Jones, who my friend uh, Britt Gerhardt, who's a ceramicist in uh, San Francisco, is the person who recommended the show to me. And she's like, she had never heard of them, but I, apparently they're really big deals. The best thing about Keith is he's this huge, like, imagine if Frankenstein were on the young ones. That is what <laughs> Keith Brimer-Jones looks like. So he's the super potter. Every week he makes something, and then they all have to figure out how to make it too and he is so into pottery this is not a put on that when he sees something that's really beautiful he starts crying frankenstein young ones frankenstein (laughs) is crying and it's so amazing and you want to cry too the contestants are uh, you know a diverse group just like on the baking show uh on this season there's a guy who's basically like a 
like one of the British forces from Zero Dark Thirty kind of guy. Every once in a while, like when the judges give him an assignment, he doesn't like he looks at him and you know that he's thinking, I could totally kill you. Um, there's a guy who's basically the governor from The Walking Dead, um, except, you know, pottery instead of, you know, murdering everyone. Uh, there's a white dude with blonde dreadlocks. There's a legit Rastafarian. It's fantastic. Um, and all these people are presented with a variety of different challenges as well as that sort of overall big thing they have to do every week and they do it and it's great the finale um is this tuesday uh it's on bbc2 if you're listening from somewhere other than america otherwise i urge you to fly to england and catch up on this show i think that you will if you like the whole thing where everyone gets along as opposed to being real shits to each other you are gonna love this show you're gonna learn about pottery and it's like super inspiring i'm all for it everybody that sounds awesome i'm sold so uh, December 11th, Transparent returns to Amazon with its second season. Uh, but if you have a Prime membership, which you should, because with the holidays coming up, the shipping savings pay for itself. Uh, I am not a paid shill. <laughs> Aren't you? Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> I'm help you all out. I'm just trying to make your lives a lot easier. Um, no, so uh, if you have a Prime membership, they uh, have already... Uh, put up the first episode of the second season. I've seen it. I've seen it like three times by now. It's really fantastic. If you've been sort of waiting for the show to come back, but you're just like, oh, I wonder if like I'm sort of, you know, out from under its spell a little bit. Will it be easy to get back into it? It's incredible. Like you, it's impossible not to get right back into it. The first. Uh, the cold open before the before the credits is if you've seen that teaser that they've released for the season, which is everybody at Sarah and Tammy's wedding trying to arrange themselves for a photo, and they're all in white. It's that uh, uh, extended out to its full and awful slash hilarious glory, where they're all trying to like get together, and the dialogue is very sort of Altmany and overlapping, and and Judith Light very occasionally uh, sort of rises above the din with some killer of a punchline or whatever. It's really (laughs) funny. Um, The episode itself uh, all takes place at the wedding, at the wedding reception. And it's just immediately just sort of jumps you back into the show. I'm so, so happy that it's back. It seems to be sort of uh, kicking things up a notch ambition-wise. There is a flashback that sort of happens in the middle of the episode and it's fairly jarring because it doesn't really you're not really prepared for it it doesn't really tie in to anything in the narrative specifically but it's very Mm. cool i don't want to sort of over explain it because it's best to sort of i think just sort of experience as it comes but um you can tell that the show and jill soloway i feel like are going for something even a little bit more ambitious than in the first season and considering the first season was pretty groundbreaking for you know it's you know, depiction of a trans character in lead role. Um, that really says something. All the actors have come to play. Jeffrey Tambor is a wonder. Like, just absolutely astounding. It's it's very good. You know, now that I've completely oversold it, hopefully it will live <laughs> up to these expectations. But uh, this full season is up, like I said, on December 11th. But you can watch the premiere right now. All right, uh, Sarah. Um, I've come to talk about two things that will probably be of interest to Mr. Mark Blankenship. The first is Land. Yes. Uh, Mark wrote a very nice appreciation of the BND's Astrid, played by Nina Haas. Amazing name. Um, 
last week on Previously.TV, so please go check this out. Um, last night's episode, as we record this, had a very cool like team-up between her and Carrie to track Quinn down. These are not people who necessarily want to be working together, but they were, um, which could have been fan service. I don't care. It was great. I kind of want to have them have a spinoff with Quinn <laughs> and Saul, and they just, like, have a van. <laughs> It'll be like, it'll be great. Mm -hmm. Um, But the show in general, like, it's felt, I mean, it's still not, like, great. It's sometimes very good and often really annoying. But this season has felt really like there's been some processy stuff. Um, There's been focus on, like, good characters. They have a good uh, bad guy this year. So it's really improved. Uh, so if you were about to cancel Showtime, get the free 30 days and tag back in and join us. (laughs) I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, the second thing is this TV movie about Dolly Parton's life starring Rick Schroeder. Oh, yeah. Yeah! (gasps) What? Is anyone else going to be watching it? What is this? Set it to record. (laughs) Alrighty. Yes, apparently Dolly Parton herself, like, cast it and cried while watching it, so... If uh, this other product of Tennessee is on board with it, I will watch it. Uh, I quiver with anticipation because <laughs> you're talking to someone who grew up watching all of the Dolly Parton TV specials of the 80s, and there were a lot of them. And like the one where she was an angel, which she is in real life anyway, the one where she was a no nonsense country musician who helped a town figure out what matters most at Christmas. <laughs> I watched them all. And so for the, the, the return of the Dolly Parton story to my TV with hunky Rick Schroeder. Yes. Well, I have some important information. The project is called Dolly Parton's Code of Many Colors. Uh, it <clears throat> airs this Thursday, December 10th from 9 to 11 on NBC. And we have a screener. So maybe we can induce Mark now that he knows about this to write about it for previously.tv. Please come back on Thursday. (laughs) I bet we can work something out. Yeah. I was just singing Code of Many Colors. (laughs) Sorry, Mark. What were you going to say about Dolly Parton? Oh, I was just singing in the Code of Many Colors (laughs) that the screener gave to me. (laughs) That was it. Okay. I uh, just want to <laughs> briefly talk about Fargo. Mark, if you want to excuse yourself for a couple of minutes, yes, not spoil, pardon me. please do so as we record this before it airs on TV, but uh, we'll publish after. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so this episode was the episode where the uh, UFO sighting from the first uh, episode pays off. The, it returns during a firefight at a motel. And Tara was very upset about I this. I was very upset. And I was not. So I, I just wanted sat to... up on the couch, which I never do, and turned around to Dave in fury. Yeah, she did. So explain why you were so mad about it. Because I feel like this is the show breaking its own rules. It has so many um, genre bending qualities as it is. Mm-hmm. For some reason, this one is just, a, a, it's one too many. Like, yeah. It's if you want to make up a whole history of Ronald Reagan movies that never existed, <laughs> that you know filmed in South Dakota or whatever, that's fine. That's fine with me. But um, basically, taking the position not only that aliens are real, but that they have a personal stake in a shootout at a fucking motel, feels to me like you're being greedy with the elasticity of your show's premise. Well, first of all, I think they were just observers. They well, didn't actually intervene i don't know but not they? the actual observers from fringe <laughs> no no observers. That we know. were these uh, the same aliens from american sweet. horror story season two 
I thought that no. it was um, I don't know. in keeping with the very 70s otherworldly quality that's been going on. You know, not like super crazy otherworldly up to this point. But it did seem a little like removed from reality. So, and you know, it's a very you know, Operation uh, uh, Blue Book is a very 1970s thing. So I thought it was in keeping with the kind of vibe of the series. It is obviously very weird. It's going to be super polarizing. I can't wait until people like Tara get really angry about it when it when it airs. But uh, I, <laughs> I thought Jeez. for my money, the more upsetting thing was the like 12 minute long movie they stuck in an episode or two before that to yes. justify her uh mrs blumquist's sort of airheaded not realizing that uh, you know uh what's his face uh burn notice escapes his bonds in yeah. the cabin like, to me that was a, a, a more self-indulgent uh, uh, piece of business. Look, the show is good, but there's no reason for multiple episodes to be 90 minutes long. And this goes for you as well, American Horror Story. Like, tighten up your storytelling. It's fine if you want to insert a piece of, like, non-existent film as a plot point, but, like, maybe put in 45 seconds of it. Don't put in four minutes. Like, that's really excessive to me. FX is a monster. It's out of control. It needs to be stopped. I mean, with, that, with regard to that thing, that particular tendency, it started with Sons of Anarchy and then no yeah. one was like, let's rein it in. Like, if you want to go to 1111, fine. I'm not crazy. But like two episodes in a row that went to 1130, give me a fucking break. Your show is an hour long. Yeah. Make it an hour long. Sorry. All right, get on Twitter. Plus one aliens, minus one aliens. <laughs> Let me know. Not really. Don't do that, please. <laughs> Oh, hi's. I didn't see you there. <laughs> it's Bees, official Duke of Extra Who Great, and a good with this, Gordon Lightfoots. I is here to talk to you about Duke rescues. Did you know there are Dukes that don't get to go for long wooks? Dukes that don't get truths between breakfast and dinners? Dukes that don't get to runs around and chew Tana's bulls? It's Trues, and I should knows I used to be such a Duke. Then one day, Dave's and Lady Dave's takes me home, and now look at us, we best chums. But Gordon Lightfoot, you says, how can I be as happy as you guys? It not hard. First, ask yourself if you are a good person. If no, skip to next segment. <laughs> if you good person who need Doog to make life's goods, then you should talk to humans at local Doog Rescue. Rescue Doog's best Doogs. We not like snooty champion breeds. <laughs> We downs to earth dukes who crack wises and keep yards safe from the one things that try to kill you. Cats. <laughs> if lives in Middle Sooks, New Jersey, then go to New Jersey Boxer Rescues. But words of warning, they are boxer dukes, but they know box. If you live in Bay Areas, then go to Hopalong's Animal Rescues. If you live in LA's, then call Forte Animal Rescue and tell them Gordon Lightfoot sent you. I big deals there, so they bring you best duke from back room. <laughs> No matter where you are, you can search for rescues on the internet at adoptapet.coms or petfinder.coms. Thank you for listening. All right, everybody, it is time for the canon. Mark is presenting this week. Take it away, Mark.
Hello, everyone. On this week's Canon, I am pleased to present Season 5, Episode 12 of Six Feet Under, also known as Everybody's Waiting, also known as the series finale, also known as, oh my god, I'm crying so hard, when will I stop crying? It's been three days, why am I still crying? My face is so puffy. Um, I've been thinking about this episode for a long time as a canon submission, and I just kind of never got around to it. There are always stories to tell about masturbating that I need to squeeze in there first, so to speak. But <laughs> Squeeze! <laughs> no! will appreciate that. But um, <laughs> this is one that I'm so glad to finally have the chance to talk about because it um, this episode of television affected me emotionally more than perhaps any episode of television I've seen. And I don't even say that hyperbolically. And uh, it was interesting to go back to it because I haven't seen Six Feet Under in any context, in any way, in 10 years. Um, I So for me to come back to this, I was really hoping that when I rewatched the episode, it would still have the power that it had for me then. I trusted that it would, but it was delightful to discover that, in fact, it did. And I have to say that upon rewatching this episode as a standalone, I think I connected with it a little bit more because I was free of all of the decisions I had made about earlier missteps in the show that had perhaps impacted how I saw the first portion of this episode. And when you see it now as a, or at least I think when you see this episode as a standalone short story, uh, I think it actually gains even more power, quite frankly, or at least it gains, it doesn't lose any power. And it sort of just detaches me from any anxiety or resentment that I had about the way that Nate came back from head trauma in the third season in a really weird way, or that they, um, that Michael C. Hall's character, whose name I just lost, help me out. David. David. David had been attacked or whatever. But anyway, so I feel like we can see this episode as a meditation on recovering from trauma, various types of trauma, uh, attack death, depression, uh, the, the breaking away from your family as you inevitably get older. I mean, these are all things that the characters are dealing with throughout the course of this episode. And what I found so powerful about it in the macro sense was that every character was given the opportunity to actually feel shitty about things, but then also figure out a way to keep going. And I think that one of the great achievements of Alan Ball's script and direction here um, is that... I don't feel that anything ever is treated cheaply in terms of emotion. There's a deep, to my mind, undercurrent of of authenticity in a feeling here because nothing that is considered that you could consider a victory comes without a fight, and nothing that is a fight is so all-consuming that it obliterates the light, if you will. So I feel like that the show strikes this incredible balance that, to me, seems like a pretty strikingly true balance that we so often find in our own lives where there are terrible things happening all the fucking time and sometimes they're the worst things but then in that horrible stuff there's also the ability to find a way to keep going and our ability to discover how to see those things that make it worthwhile to keep going is what makes us adults and i'm getting really emotional just talking about it and i think that the show is just um it, it tracks such an elegant arc from despair to hope. And then, of course, there's the final moments of the episode, which by now are fairly iconic, where 
uh, Claire is driving away toward her new life, and we then see every member of the major cast, uh, how they die, which of course also ties back into the conceit of the whole series where we see someone die, we see their name and life and death dates on the screen. And then the funeral home comes to get them. Except in this case, of course, that doesn't happen, but it is like this ultimate macro, uh, distillation. (laughs) So sorry, you can't have a macro distillation, but anyway, but (laughs) in seeing the massive, span of the deaths of all of these characters we of course are reminded over and over again of the pain that comes with being alive but we also see especially with claire's death that she's surrounded by all of these things that the people in her life gave to her both uh, and made her life worth living and that and that twin experience of tragedy and joy i just find fucking gut-wrenching in a way that i am still grateful for but the things i would like to now dig into specifically are the relationships between uh, some of the characters that really popped for me in a particular way in this episode. And I think it's the specificity of the writing in this episode that isn't just about the massive theme that makes it truly deserve uh, its canonization. Because to be as clear and pointed about its small moments as it is about its big moments is truly a feat. Um, We start the episode with a lot of people in a lot of pain. Nate has just died. That has made Ruth who is Nate's mother, basically come apart at the seams. She is convinced that there's no more reason to live. Meanwhile, they're doing all of this. um, Brenda's mother is doing all this stuff so that maybe Ruth is never going to get to see Maya again. And there's just all this horrible shit happening. But then you get to the point where the... The question has come up, are we going to keep this funeral home or not? And that is because... um, uh, Rico wants to buy the funeral home or be be bought out of the funeral home, whatever. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now! And so the characters uh, have to get together and decide what they're going to do, and they end up having this conversation about the future of the Fisher Funeral Home. Absolutely not. This is my family's business, and I won't sell it. 
So, buy me out. Fine. But I hope that you're aware this place is probably worth $2 million. I had it appraised. So what do you want to do with your part, Brenda? I don't really care. Sorry, David, I don't. You know what? I don't really care either. <laughs> Why am I fighting for something I've always been ambivalent about? Habit. Yep. That to me is it, it. It 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 is both. I think a very true insight that we can have as adults when we realize that we are still allowing ourselves to be controlled by these quote unquote necessities of our lives, and then we realize, oh shit, uh, it actually doesn't have to be that way anymore. I'm just used to it. But it also is, uh, dramaturgically speaking, a really important moment in the episode. Thank yes, <laughs> it's the most appropriate word Drink. for the con- for the context. <laughs> but dramaturgically speaking, it is a really important moment because that is the moment when the episode really kicks into gear of people letting go of things and then the plot gets unstuck and moves forward toward the end and for me one of the most delightful moments when the unsticking continues is when ruth uh played honestly in an astonishingly good performance by francis conroy decides that despite george's offer she will not be moving in with him and here's and and she says that after hearing that he has basically cut his own daughter his living daughter out of his life so this is what she says to him about that i don't think i can move in with you george why not because Don't get me wrong. You're a good, decent man with a big heart. But there are walls around that heart. Walls behind walls behind walls. And I can spend a certain amount of time around that, but I cannot live with it. Not anymore. Don't look so sour. It doesn't mean I won't go out with you. We can have a lot more fun this way. And what's so true here that is so true about Ruth as a character is that she manages to find such decency in her rejection of George, and she's not cutting him out of her life. She's saying, I need to have this work in a context that makes sense for me. And I just find it so beautiful, especially if you've seen her being so miserable at the beginning of the episode, decide that she can have this sort of quiet revolution in her own life. And it's presented as such, and um, Francis Conroy plays it as such. It's just a quiet, matter-of-fact decision that has these enormous repercussions for her and for other people around her, and it's still shot through with this genuine kindness. Um, But then we get to the relationship between uh, Ruth and her daughter Claire, played by Lauren Ambrose, which, where have you been? Why are you not on TV right now or doing something good, but that's neither here nor there? Uh, (laughs) The entire series of Six Feet Under is marked by an enormous amount of friction between Ruth and Claire. And even in this episode, when Claire gets the opportunity to go to New York to pursue a dream dream job as a professional photographer, Ruth is so caught up in her own pain that she can't in any way hear or support it. And Claire feels rejected by that and frustrated by that. And uh, then they're having a serious conversation, or they're having what starts out as a sort of angry conversation on the couch about Claire's future. And then Claire realizes that her mother is in so much pain and feels so alone. And Claire, because she herself is 
uh, an, an adolescent in many ways is also still a pretty good person, says, oh my God, well, you know what? I will just not take the job. I'll just stay here with you. And this is a lengthy clip that you're about to hear, but I want you to hear the whole thing because I feel like the writing here about is it's really remarkable because you can hear in the response to I'll just not take the job a, a huge evolution in the relationship between these two characters that takes place in about a minute and a half. You would do that? You would stay here for me? Absolutely not. Go. Live. I'll unfreeze your trust fund. Take it and find whatever life has in store for you. Well, uh, are you still going to move in with George? No. <laughs> I'm moving in with Sarah. Oh, she's back from Costa Rica? No, Bettina's house-sitting, but I'm moving in anyway. And if Sarah doesn't like it, it's too fucking bad. Mom, really... I can wait. Claire, I stayed home to take care of a sick woman, and I've always regretted it. I don't regret you or any of my children or Nathaniel even. <laughs> but I do regret never giving myself any choice. I won't let you make the same mistake. <laughs> And I feel like what we see here is also something that is fairly fucking bold in the world of prestige cable drama, which is unvarnished sincerity in the expression of feeling between two characters in a family. There's nothing here that makes it safe for us. There's no joke. There's no irony. There are no quotation marks. The show just says, you know what? Here are some feelings, and I think it has the courage to allow us to reject those feelings, but it doesn't, it doesn't give us an out. It forces us to look at them, and I just find it incredibly powerful. And uh, the acting there, too, is just incredible. But that is, in, in saying, looking at feelings, I am not saying that the show is sentimental. And I think that one of the most important things in this episode is the constant appearance of the ghost of Nate in so many of the characters' imaginations, because he represents the cynicism and fear that so often accompany even emotional breakthroughs like the ones that you've just heard. And he also represents a sort of truth-telling, no-nonsense, don't-get-so-high-on-your-own-tears element that keeps the show grounded and doesn't make it descend into a sort of soggy, everyone-feeling-their-beautiful-feelings uh, experience. But I think, again, it's not the same as escaping the feelings. The show is just saying, these feelings are happening, but they're happening in a messy context with lots of other things. And I think for me, the, the place where that, the power of Nate's presence in forcing us in a way to see the authenticity of the feelings even more comes when Claire is about to leave her family and drive away to New York. And uh, she says this final goodbye to her mother and then Nate interjects. Thank you for everything. And thank you for giving me life. You gave me life. Oh, my God, I don't want to go. Yes, you do. It's so important because, yes, you do. And how many of us don't know that feeling of knowing that it's time to leave our families and feeling that raw ache 
of stepping off the porch for the last time and looking back and seeing our parents standing there and knowing we can't go back, but then also knowing that we wouldn't go back, that we can't go back because we we literally have no choice but to move forward. And the ability of the show to to encapsulate both the pain of separation that also comes with death or sickness or what have you with the knowledge that you can't stay is pretty fucking amazing to me. And then the final thing that you hear, one of the final things that you hear is the following uh, sound clip. It's um, as Claire is leaving her family for good and they're all gathered on the porch watching her, she decides that she wants to record the moment. And then we hear this. Oh, I want to take a picture of everyone. Can't take a picture of this. It's already gone. You can't take a picture of this. It's already gone. Is it mean? Is it honest? Is it gentle? It's all of those things. And it's the thorny honesty of that that leads us into the final segment where Claire is driving off to her job. And as she's driving, we hear a Sia song, which was part of the show before Sia was like the famous face-hiding, chandelier-swinging chanteuse that she has become today. And she's driving off into her future, and the, the actual edges of the frame start to collapse around her. The light gets really saturated. Um, the, 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 the images start to seem a little... There's something about the editing that makes the car seem less and less realistic. And you do get the sense that she's like driving forward into time. And those are when all of the clips of the people, of her family members dying, start to show up. And then within each of those clips, you see so much information about what happens to all of these people. And you get to see everyone get the arc of a life. And no one in the show dies without love, which I find really beautiful. And there's so much specificity in those last few moments in terms of what we learn about them that gives us the the feeling of closure. And that sense of enormous closure that we get from every character, to me, also makes this possibly the best series finale that I have ever seen, because the show already had a perfect built-in conceit. We just get to see how everyone dies, and there's nothing that is more of a closure in a non-soap than death. So I feel like that we end the show with this enormous amount of emotion that's been so well wrought, and we also within the specificity of this particular episode, but then it um, irises out into seeing the entire community of these characters. And we just get to experience the end of something beautiful and massive. And it's said with such authenticity, at least to me. And I was watching this again last weekend and I was crying. Well, no, it was a last Friday because Andrew, my husband is a voice teacher and he has students singing in our apartment. And I was crying so hard that I had to like, put a pillow over my face so I wouldn't interrupt a student's (laughs) lesson. And I have to say that to feel this gutted by something is exquisitely wonderful to me. And I've never encountered an episode of television that has made me feel this much. And I think it's the the, the level of feeling plus the technical mastery to me makes this a guarantee, to me makes this a a no-brainer, at least in terms of nomination for the canon. Well, I feel like Joe should go first since a couple of years ago he presented the Six Feet Under series premiere for the canon. So this would be a nice way to bookend it. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah. Um, so fun fact about this episode, it aired on my birthday. Huh. So <laughs> I was actually out of town for uh, that birthday. I can't even remember where I was, but I was somewhere. And I uh, had recorded it, so I didn't watch the episode until a good two days later. And it says a lot about what six feet under had become by that point in its run that its finale was not incredibly anticipated. I think a lot of people had drifted from the show or written it off or at least had downgraded it in terms of 
uh, its quality by that point because it had meandered for a good season, season and a half, I think, by that point. Yeah, I, it really did feel like um, the PTSD after the crack mugging, yeah, yeah. Um, which should absolutely be a known act, but we're getting off track. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people were like, they just couldn't with yeah. that anymore. So I think, I think there was that aspect, but it was also a testament to how much easier it was to avoid spoilers before Twitter. Where <laughs> yeah, true. I was not, like, I managed to watch this episode a good full two days later and didn't even have to, like, go through any acrobatics. I just, like, avoided the TWAP forums, basically, and I was <laughs> fine. So, um, so I watched this and, you know, not to, you know, hop on Mark's tearful bandwagon, but, like... Hey, we've got plenty of room and minutes, tissues. I was just, like, sobbing in my bedroom by myself like a crazy person. So I watched that last part, that last sort of eight minutes or so, on YouTube 50 times in the last, you know, several years or whatever, just, like, over the years. Um... But not the full episode. So I was curious to see what the full episode would be like. Um, it was. It led to surprising things. Like I had forgotten that the PTSD from the hoodie attacker was so recent that like that's what David's storyline was going up into this episode was that he was still recovering from that, and Keith was having to be like, "You've got to move out while you're going through this because you're like traumatizing these two foster kids who we've adopted." Um, so that was interesting. There are parts of this episode, not a lot, but there are, I think, the parts that uh, with Brenda's family, much as I love Margaret Chenoweth, Gorgon that she is, like, she's such a monster, but I love her, <laughs> um, that feel like the episode is sort of, like, biding its time, waiting for that finale, knowing, like, they know they've got this, like, killer home run coming up, and, like, they've right. just got to get to there. Um, but the parts of the episode that I really loved are the ways that... It brings the family back together. I thought the weakest parts of Six Feet Under were always that they had a tendency to sort of cast all the family members to the four corners of the world. And Claire would be in her storyline, and David in his, and Nate in his, and Ruth in hers. And they would come together at like the finales or whatever, but they spent far too much time apart. Um, I liked that meeting with David and Rico and Brenda. I liked that acknowledgement that Brenda is part of that family. I think the stuff with her and Ruth was actually really amazing because they started off so mm. opposed to each other and they really came across a long terrain to get to one another. Um, and anything with David and Claire together is special for me because those were the two characters that I connected to the most. Um, I think what you said about Nate is interesting, Mark, because it does put his parts of this episode into context because so much of Nate, particularly by that point, was so knee-jerk loathsome for me, and I hated yes. that character so much that yes. every time he came on screen, I would just be like, shut up, Nate. But <laughs> I liked how he was an avatar for everything that Brenda was afraid about with her premature baby, and he articulated all of her worst thoughts, and then he articulated all of Claire's least... Uh, sentimental thoughts where mm. he was basically like tough truth guy and so they managed to use nate's by that point i think even by that point the show knew how unlikable that character had become so they used that to good effect um but i just think that that lead up to anything with that finale is going to be just so incredible i remembered watching it this time how much that david and keith that it flash forward to david and keith's wedding hit me in oh. pre pre-gay marriage, legalized yeah. gay marriage mm -hmm. days, where I was just like, that was 
everything. That was that's like absolutely everything. And and our good friend Chris Messina, who we all love from being in everything and also Mindy Project. Um, <laughs> I forgot. He's good in Mindy Project. I just don't like Mindy Project. Like whatever. Uh, that was an interesting storyline. That was one of the storylines that I feel like they had to just sort of like, we'll just tuck this away. Um, but it was <laughs> nice to see him show up in, in the flash forward at the point where he did. Um, it's that, I mean, it's, I think I'm up there with Mark. Like this is, I can't think of any series finales that I liked better than this one that I felt more satisfied by. I think the lowered expectations helped, but, uh, it kills, kills me. Yeah. Uh, Sarah. Um, I, it's interesting that this show, people were talking a lot about this finale, uh, for good reason, but then the show itself, like, I feel like it left the discussion yeah, and has never come back in. Um, and like, nobody does rewatches of it really, or if they do, I'm, I'm not aware. Yeah. I don't feel like it's braided into, um our sort of cultural consciousness the way a lot of those other prestige HBO Sunday nighters uh, are and have been. Um, and I watched the entire show even when I wanted to step out a window uh, <laughs> during it because, and I think this is perhaps why uh, we don't revisit this show as much and why uh, American Beauty is now considered something that have embarrassed of an embarrassment awards wise, which is that all of these people are assholes. <laughs> all of them. Like, do you, do you relate to some of them? Sure. Uh, is the acting amazing? Of course. Is there this, um, sort of realism or truth to the idea that, um, you know, we still like, we still miss them. And at the end, like we're, we're letting go of them and we're crying because this is the end of, something for us as well. And that's very much what family is about. That it's like, even a jerk-shaped hole is still a hole. Um, But I think, I really liked hearing Mark talk about this because as with most things, uh, Mark was quite a bit more generous than I would be in (laughs) my assessment of, like, I feel like Claire only offers to stay home because she's terrified. Like, she doesn't actually care about her mother. She just doesn't want to go. Uh, I think you're 60% maybe right there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, part of her cares a little bit about her mother, but part of her has been looking for a reason to not have to pull this ripcord. And, like, there's a whole whatever, like, actually, the company moved to Chicago whole thing. Like, whatever. Doesn't matter. She has to leave so that we can touch off this home run that Joe was talking about. Um, But the fact is, you know, we're here to talk about the last six to eight minutes. And on that basis, um, I was destroyed watching it originally. It didn't hold up quite as well, but it still holds up pretty well. I think it's built extremely well. Uh, Mark is right that they get a lot of information in there that allows for a lot of closure and it doesn't feel cheap. Like the fact is this was done so well that it could not be done again. Mm-hmm. Finale, yeah, mm-hmm. um, right. And I just imagine like David Chase watching it, and being like, "Fuck me!" Not that he didn't work it out, but like a whole wall of no cards was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will also say, like, I watched this at 
I didn't have uh, HBO at the time, so I would go to my brother's apartment and watch the last few episodes of Six Feet Under, and it was like weird. It was a weird experience to be this emotional about some of these like fraternal relationships in front of my brother, and certainly a few episodes prior to that when they're burying Nate mm. um, and David's. Uh, David is just like imploding like almost physically about to collapse and i found that extremely hard to watch and i thought that was really uh a wonderful horrible piece of art but also this i don't know like if you have whatever relationships you have with your siblings there was a lot of truth here um and it was it was fun to revisit this even though i was like oh yeah like, a lot of these people, like, keel over, and I'm like, good. Like, fucking Rico <laughs> literally hits the deck, and I was like, good riddance. Yeah. There was, a, there was also a lot of Nate. Like, I remember when he, like, narmed and hit the ground, I was like, thank God. But, of course, it's six feet under, you're never, you're yeah. never. Sure. The dead are never gone for as, long. As Nate Sr. says, there is no escape. Um, yeah. yeah. Thank you for bringing this bringing this in front of the panel. It was really interesting to rewatch it and to think about what works and what doesn't and why this show, which I think was quite a successful, uh, you know, piece of art all taken together with some yeah. down spots. Like why, why are we the only ones probably talking about it in the world right now? Including <laughs> Ball. Eve. Well, um, I'm your, uh, baboon to send through the teleporter because i did not watch six feet under um oh i think i watched like sort of the maybe the first half of the first season when it was on and um you know and i stopped watching it wasn't like a big dramatic thing you know i'm done with this or anything i think i sort of thought you know what you guys have all said these people are assholes and i don't care um and you know since then i've you know i'm way older now and i've sort of thought like i sort of every once in a while i thought like oh maybe i should pitch this as a marathon diary and then i thought i don't want to have to binge watch a show about death. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Um, but so I was sort of glad to have, you know, to be assigned the finale to watch because that way I sort of thought, well, you know, it's like I'll get everything. I mean, I live in the world. I'm, I sort of know the basics of what happened on the show. You know, the sports night die, guy had problem with his brain and all that um you know so I, I i knew i i knew what i was sort of going into of course i knew about the you know the last eight minutes thing because once again you know i live in the world i have access to the internet of course i know how it's gonna go um so i was watching it though in a sort of a relative vacuum but that's also sort of a lie I was not watching it in a vacuum because I live in the world and I think that we process everything that we're watching through all of our experiences. And conversely, I think, you know, Mark already threw down with the dramaturgically, so I feel comfortable like going this way. You know, I think that one of the most important things about art is how it gives us the tools to perceive process and understand the quote unquote, the real world, the, you know, the world that we actually live in. And so watching this show this week or last week, rather, which was, I think, a, a horrible week. It was a horrible week in yeah. a horrible series of years where terrible things were happening in the world. And, you know, I work in the news industry and I had to sit there and write about it and consume it. And, you know, and it just it just freaking sucks like it does every week because, you know, bad things are happening all the time. Um, but last week, for some reason... I don't know. I was having a rough time anyway, and I'm going to like fucking cry, <laughs> you know? And so, so watching this 
was very difficult, but I'm so glad that I did because I feel like it gave me a, you know, a catharsis that I would not have had otherwise, or I just would have started a fight with my husband or something. <laughs> and so, um, you know, so Mark, thank you so much for making me watch this really fucking depressing thing yeah. and <laughs> being able to sort of get out my uncomfortable feelings about, you know, the news and everything else, because since I wouldn't be able to professionally. And I think that, you know, we talk, you know, you guys made such great points about, you know, why aren't we talking about this? And, uh, you know, why isn't this a show that people bring up? And I think that maybe a good reason is that it's really uncomfortable and it's really unpleasant, like a lot of good things are, like exercises, like ballet is. And, um, you know, there's so much good TV on right now, but I cannot think of a single show that is this, like, non-manipulatively gut-wrenching. You know, like, I cry, like, at all sorts of shows and stuff, you know, dogs and things. But, like, <laughs> crying, like, for real, like this is not something that happens to me that often on TV. And I can't think of something comparable that's on TV now. Um, I wish that there was something. But, um, you know, I'm glad that I just got to watch this and experience this this week. So that's all I got. All right. Uh, I will go next. There's not a lot to say that hasn't been said that you guys have brought up such great points. <laughs> Especially, I'm glad that Sarah brought up Rico falling because I was like, that's one of my notes. Rico, shitty to the end. <laughs> like, yep. uh, although Mark is right that he does die, you know, loved. He also is like, he doesn't, they never sort of soften his edges at the end. Like, he really is very abrasive and aggressive, even in the clip mm. that Mark Bold, which, you know, like, I get it you, that you have a right to be that guy if you're sort of got entangled in this weird family business that doesn't seem to respect you, but whatever, you don't have to be a shithead all the time um speaking of being a shithead all the time nate uh i do yeah, think it's interesting bye. how different um uh sarah's uh, uh sarah's nope wrong show brenda's recollections of him are <laughs> um then everyone else like the, you know for claire or david or um or ruth their memories of him or their projections of him and their imaginations are you know, positive and he's very loving and stuff. Whereas for Brenda, it sort of feels like if he hadn't died, this, this marriage wouldn't have lasted anyway. Cause she already right. like in, even in her, obviously this is an extremely stressful time in her life, but at the same time, it's like her memories of him are of him being horrible to her, not being a supportive, you know, member of her team at all. Um, and mm. so, you know, although it's awful that she lost her husband and then had this this crisis pregnancy and delivery and stuff, hard to say that she's not better off by the end of the episode than she was, you know, maybe when Eve is even still alive. Um, I also remember a lot of those fast forward, flash forwards. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I also remembered when they when she had that nice conversation with Ruth in the on the stairs in the in the house at the funeral home. Mm. I was like, oh right, Ruth moves in with her. Like for some reason, my that was a hundred percent my memory of how Ruth's storyline ended. That she moved in to help her with Mine the kids, too. Like, which is obviously... no, she moves in with her sister Sarah. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, but I just for some reason that was if I had had to like write an essay about what happens to her, that would have been my guess without doing any yeah. research. But I like how her story too and 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 the Ruth story is to me the most inspiring because she's the one who gets to have the most different kind of life than she ever yes. would have guessed mm. you know mm -hmm. um and it's it's a it seems like a very quiet serene life but even when she's like when she's packing her clothes with George and she's like I've I've spent my whole life in clothes I don't like <laughs> like yeah we didn't like them either so good move 
getting over to Eileen Fisher and picking up some stuff that's a little more comfortable. Because this suits you better. Like, you can be a different kind of person no matter how old you are. Um, even if what you've thought of as the mother, as you know, as being the wife and mother of three, you can be a mother of two and be a different kind of person and be a lot happier than you would have guessed if you just, you know, allowed yourself to make different kinds of choices. Um, which brings me to the Ruth Claire storyline, which I think was the best. Obviously, we've, you know, all of us have sort of hinted at, like, we related to different characters and for different personal reasons. And this one is is a beautiful one for me. I, I take Sarah's point that Claire da- is looking for a way to avoid going to New York. But I do think she sincerely means it in that moment. Like she wants that's her allowing herself to think of a different kind of life that she might have, too, which is one where she's a better child to her mother. You know, even oh, if that's yeah, not I don't think she's conscious of, you know, trying to avoid anything no i i don't either i I think you're right that that's part of it where it's like oh this would give me such a good excuse but i do think in the in the moment that she you know she sincerely means it and the two of them are so good together the clip that mark cut is like that's that's such a killer moment and every time lauren ambrose cried in this episode while i was watching it which is a lot i was like why isn't she getting all the parts claire danes gets (laughs) so good i mean claire danes is fine but like lauren ambrose is such a better actor to me that like i I, I really felt like I, I've we've we've been denied a lot of Lauren Ambrose that we should have been getting, and I don't know who's Did to she blame. Marry but... her older agent and become a princess or some bullshit. Um, I don't know about the, la- the last part, but I think she she may have sort of done that, get, getting married and yeah, jobs or something like that. None she of did... these people want Emmys, also by the way, which is insane. I know oh, that is crazy. Ludicrous. Especially Michael C. Hall. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, yeah. Good on the show. Yep. Um, but yeah, they gave her the, be- the, they, Claire gets the best line of the episode, which is, I don't know how to do this. Like when she's yeah. getting ready to leave and that's like, yep, that's it in a nutshell. Like, you, no one knows how to do any of this. <laughs> and that's what the show has been about. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was very interesting to revisit this. There's so much to like about this episode and, and also so much to respect and so much to think about. And, um, thank you for bringing it, Mark. Good job. I think it's a testament to how much this episode offers that, uh, this might be the longest canon we've had in- <laughs> There are also six time. of us, but still. Yeah. Okay. I got four points. One, Brenda's death was the best death in the uh, totally. Thank in you. The finale. That, <laughs> totally. To death by Billy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the one thing I really didn't like in this episode because it's just so cliched is uh, Ruth telling Claire to go live your life, <laughs> be the per- like. Oh, come on, that was so overwritten. Um, the finale obviously is what everybody remembers about this episode. I think if you were just to judge this episode on the finale, on the standard, montage, you mean? Yeah, on the montage. Yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah, the finale bit. Um, that it would stand a very good chance to getting in on that alone. There's a lot of good stuff before it, but like if you asked anybody about the finale, they would probably just remember the end bit and not the all, all the stuff that comes before it. Um, but uh, that's too bad because the the Claire stuff with Ruth is is excellent for all the reasons Tara says. It's like a very scary moment in your life, you know, when you have to make that, uh, you know, you have to take that leap of faith in yourself. Um, yeah. and sort of leave the nest. It's, it, it can be very scary. Not in my case. I will say I was so <laughs> fucking happy to leave home, not for any reason like that bad parent or anything like that, but I was just like so ready. And like the moment I thought I could do it, I did it. But anyway, so I didn't have that experience, but yeah, I get it. Like making You've been big, around people who have. Well, just making big life decisions like that, like moving to the States or something like that, you know, or like buying a home, you know, like just these big uh, once in a lifetime moments you have that are just like sc- scare you shitless and make you yeah. think about 
all the cascading things that will go wrong for the next 20 years when you make this one decision. You know, Look, you married me and now you have to live with it. And so. finally, <laughs> people will pay a lot to put your dog in daycare. Ruth was right. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's a good business decision. All right, so let's put this to a vote. Uh, let's go. Let's see. Joe went first. Joe. Yes. In. Sarah. Yes. Eve. S- works as a standalone episode, so I say yes. Uh, Tara? Yes, of course. All right, five for five. Yay! All right, Six Feet Under, Season 5, Episode 12, Everybody's Waiting. You are hereby inducted into the Extra Hot Great Canon. Americans love a winner. Yup. And will not tolerate a loser. No. All right, it's time for winner and a loser of the week. Tara, winner. Sarah Paulson, star of American Horror Stories, uh, did not have a great week last week just because of the release of the American Crime Story uh, full trailer where we get to see her moving and talking for the first time in her Marsha Clark um, pube wig, which is amazing. But also because it came out, she's dating Holland Taylor. How fucking awesome is that? <laughs> Love the two of them yeah. as a couple. Oh yeah. my God. That yes. is my favorite thing. Yeah. I know. She uh, formerly dated Cherry Jones, so obviously this is a lady who has oh, excellent taste man. in girlfriends. Uh, but yeah, Holland Taylor and Sarah Paulson <laughs> together forever. I hope. Awesome. And loser of the week. Loser of the week is Ramsey Bolton. The Atlantic <laughs> did a worst character on TV bracket, and um, there were many worthy contenders, including Fitz. And I'm a little surprised he didn't win. Ooh, but it's yeah. Ramsey Bolton from Game of Thrones, and yep. we'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's a pretty funny commentary. It's it's. But, you know, the problem with all these sort of things is that people just end up voting for the shows they watch. I mean, it's sort of like the yeah. biggest rated TV show is going to win or lose, whatever that is. They're going to cheer or hiss whoever on that show. And since Game of Thrones is so hot right now. My impression is but he's pretty hateable, though. I was going to say, among Game of Thrones characters, he is. Like, he is a real shithead? R- he's a real shit. Yeah, no, not a shit. He's a real shit in the very British way of saying it, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Got yeah. It. Um, which brings me to an interesting question. Mm. Is, uh, do you know what time it is? Shit time? <laughs> yep. We'll see you back here Yay! in three minutes. <laughs> it's game time. All right, everybody. This is the sixth the game time of the season. Last episode was non-regulation. It was. So the official who won that? You did, oh, Dave. Yeah. Uh, so the official standings are Tara 3, Joe 1, Value Guess 1, and Sarah 0. Uh. Yeah. Today we are playing Name Game, the game that rhymes from oh. none other than oh. Rob Hartman. Rob Hartman! In Rob Name Hartman. Game, the game that rhymes, players are giving clues to guess two TV stars whose names rhyme. Love it already. <laughs> For example, Love it. and I will just preface this example saying he gave this as an example because one of the answers is really hard to get so he wanted to throw it away (laughs) okay in freak show last season she was missing a limb in star trek voyager he was ensign harry kim the answer would be jessica lang and garrett wang oh okay all right so the clue rhymes and the answers rhyme okay and this you're wow did emily dickinson write this quiz (laughs) <laughs> so we have 55 questions and a couple tiebreakers if we need it need Ooh. it let's throw it to picky we will start with valued guests all right let's go eve mark sarah joe tara all right so eve you're up first okay are we ready to play name game the game that rhymes 
Are we? Yeah. Yes. For God's sake. He's an ad man with a secret past. She's a Gilmore girl talking fast. Wait, hey, remind me. Is it the actor or the Actors. character names? Actors. Actors. Okay, so John Hamm and... and Lauren Graham! Mm, Shit, Eve. Okay, you got it. She we'll got give it. you that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Mark. these are all one point, right? Yeah, everything's okay. to one point. No clues. Okay. She's a scream queen who started as one of Glee's youth. In Neptune, California, she's an amateur sleuth. Okay, who are Leah Michelle and Kristen Bell? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I love it. All right, Sarah. Tool time. Okay, right. is it's the like show... sense memory now. <laughs> Tool time is the show that he shoots. He's got his own. To- he's got a talk show backed up by the Roots. Tool time uh, is the show that he shoots. He's got his talk show backed up by the Roots. This is Tim Allen and Jimmy Fallon. Correct. Nice. Joe. In a Williamsburg diner, she's a broke girl, all right. He was a longtime anchor on Newsworld Tonight. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, I was going the wrong way. Uh, Kat Dennings and Peter Jennings. Correct. Tara. Yes, sir. She's a mom with a mom, played by Allison J. He says, best time ever, but really, no way. Uh, Anna Ferris and Neil Patrick Harris. Correct. All right, back to Eve. There's really no way. <laughs> One tells contestants to lip sync for their lives. The other kills with plastic tarps and lots and lots of knives. <laughs> um. Oh, RuPaul and Michael C. Hall. Correct. All right, Mark. Yes. She went from designing in Atlanta to Fargo. What a switch. The other was once a teenage witch. Who are, sorry, sorry, Gene uh, <laughs> Smart and Melissa Joan Hart. Correct. Sarah? In yeah. the OC, she died in a car. She was on Life Goes On, but stabbed on ER. <laughs> oh, jeez. I wish this were character names, because I'm completely blanking on actress names now. So that was, oh, God. I can't remember the character name on It's the actor, not the character. I understand. Oh, okay, that. okay. Sorry, sorry. Stalling. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. Cutting into my stall time. <laughs> Can I hear the clue again, please? I forgot the first part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the OC, she died in a car. She was on Life Goes On, but was stabbed on ER. Mm-hmm. I could describe either of them to a sketch artist. Can't remember their names. Anybody? Kelly Martin, and I can't place the other one. Misha Barton. Oh, oh I couldn't get Misha Barton either. All right, Joe. From Married with Children to Modern Family went he, and he's the comedy partner of Keegan-Michael Key. Uh, Ed O'Neill and Jordan Peele. <laughs> All right, Tara. Yep. Nancy's brother-in-law on weeds, a jerk and a clown. The sugar baker's sister with a pageant crown. Oh, um, Justin Kirk and Delta Burke. <laughs> Which, by the way, where's their vehicle, I would like to know. Yeah, my, uh, <laughs> best night ever. Like, yeah, seriously. All right, Eve. From Married with Children, she plays Sassy Ladies. She hosted the fairy tale theater back in the 80s. Shelley Duvall and uh, uh, that, that lady with the big hair. Um, oh, god damn it. 
I'm sorry. I can't think of her name. Katie Seagal. Shit. Yeah. All right, Mark. Superman's youth in Smallville was tough. On Beverly Hills, she does comedy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Trademark Rob Hartman editorializing. uh, Welling and spelling. Tom Welling, Tori Spelling. Nice. All right, Sarah. Wearing gold chains on A-Team, he's got a mechanic's touch. She went from idle to smash, then on game night, not so much. <laughs> the with us? Idle to smash. Okay. Oh, my God. Mr. T and Catherine McPhee? <laughs> yes! <laughs> this is a Joe, brilliant game. I love in it. our satin tights, she'll always win. On Heroes, she had an evil mirror twin. What was the first part? In her satin tights, she'll always win. On Heroes, she had an evil mirror mirror twin. Her satin tights. Oh, uh, Linda Carter and Allie Larder. Wow. wow. Talk about right, a spinoff I'd like to see, or a vehicle I'd like to see. <laughs> yeah. She had a 90s talk show and a seat on The View. From sliders to crossing Jordan, he'll stand by you. Oh, that last one was just chock full of clues. There's not a wasted word in that one. Rosie O'Donnell and Jerry O'Connell. Stand by you. That's pretty good. Yep. All right, Eve. She's rooting for you, and she knows how to smize. Like her famous dad, Tom, he plays lots of regular guys. Tyra Banks. Did you say like his famous dad? Yep. His famous dad, Tom, he plays lots of regular guys. <laughs> that is... Anybody? Colin, Colin Hanks. Colin Hanks. Yeah. All right, number 17. Spreading Eagle. Eagle. <laughs> uh, this is for Mark. She's locked up wearing orange, and she's known as Big Boo. In Springfield, he's Mo, and he's also Apu. Leah Delaria, Hank Azaria. That is correct. Nice Sarah, mm-hmm. she plays Hana on the sisters she created and writes. He His gang was full of bikers and liked to get into fights. Wait, this is for me? Uh-huh. Yeah. Can I hear the first part again? She plays Hannah. Hannah. Yeah. Hannah. She plays Hannah on the series that she created and writes. His gang was full of bikers, liked to get into fights. Hmm. Lena Dunham. And that guy. Oh. <laughs> from, the, from the thing. Yep. With the bikes. Yep. I don't know. Charlie Hunnam. Yeah. Oh, that bitch. That's, <laughs> that one was a, that was a sneaky sneak attack because they don't start spelled the same. Very nice of you to think that was why. But. Well, that's what, that's what it took me a second. <laughs> Joe. Yep. Who's the boss? Not Tony's. Not Tony Danza. Twas she. And here's Rose from the Golden Girls, who's now ninety-three. <laughs> oh. uh, Judith Light and Betty White. Correct. All right, number twenty. Bring us into our first score break. Uh huh. Uh huh. For Tara. Mm-hmm. Once a friend to a cougar down Florida way. Once Alex Keaton. He's on The Good Wife today. Courtney Cox and Michael J. Fox. Correct. All right, so that was question number 20. Yep. This is a very tight game. 
Uh, Eve and Sarah are tied with two each. Mark and Joe and I are all tied with four each. Wow. All right. Still lots of game left. Let's continue. Back to Eve. Diane Chambers on Cheers, who disappeared from view. He's the forensic psychiatrist on Law and Order SVU. <sighs> Shelley Long and BD Wong? Yeah. Yes. For Mark, once a trio of sisters who led a charmed one of a trio of sisters who led a charmed life, everybody loves him but his in-laws and wife. Ray Romano, Alyssa Milano. <laughs> Sarah, yeah. on SVU, he was stabler with menacing stares. She's Madam Secretary, but nobody cares. <laughs> oh, I just walked through their uh, shoot on Prospect Park Southwest today. Uh, that's Taya Leone and Christopher Maloney. That is correct. Joe, oh, before Kate and Allie, she was on SNL. He was Jordy LaForge and Kuta Kinte as well. Uh, Jane Curtin and LeVar Burton. Tara? Yep. She was Partridge daughter Lori and then an L.A. Law lead. And she was Mrs. Garrett with all the facts of life you need. Oh. Oh, Susan Day and Charlotte Ray. Correct. All right. <clears throat> this is for Eve. He's at New Jersey Tony in the mafia there. She went from freaks and geeks to a Don Draper affair. Um. Wow. <laughs> oh, God. Uh. What? Linda... Car- Linda Cardinelli? Is that part wrong? And, um... That dead guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm so sorry. All I ate today was a box of Peppermint JoJo's. I blame my performance on that. Um, oh, oh, God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> James Gandolfini. Linda Cardellini. Uh, see? I had it all wrong. So close. Get a cheese right. stick, girl. It'll help. Mark. <laughs> yes. She's a medium who hears from the dead, don't you know? And she'd tug her ear on her 70s variety show. Patricia Arquette, Carol Burnett. It's more of a slant rhyme, but I'm going to accept it. <laughs> she was Boomer on Battlestar, one of the Cylon clones, and she's the Khaleesi with dragons on Game of Thrones. I don't know. <laughs> Grace Park, Amelia Clark. All right, Joe. On Mad Men, she pursued her career with a palm, a plum. On Blackish, she's the doctor and a wife and a mom. Uh, Elizabeth Moss and Tracy Ellis Ross. Correct. Tara? Yep. She was a target lady and others when she did SNL. She was Emma Peel on The Avengers and Sexy as Hell. Kristen Wiig, Diana Rigg. Correct. Back to Eve. This season, he's on Fargo. Lou Salverson's his part. From the OC, she went to Dixie as Dr. Zoe Hart. Oh, man. It's that lady who does the ice cream commercials. Mm-hmm. Maybe. <laughs> um, I don't know. He's given up on life. Patrick Wilson, (laughs) Rachel Bilson. I would have guessed David Carradine anyway, so it would have been wrong. (laughs) Rachel Bilson also sounds like a made-up name that you just needed to rhyme with Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) Adventures of Wilson and Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) It's the name on my fake ID. All right, Mark. Mm -hmm. He did good deeds on My Name is Earl at every opportunity. 
She played Trudy Campbell plus Annie on Community. Yup. Jason Lee, Allison Bree. Nice. Correct. All right, Sarah. She's the voice of Louise Belcher. She's sassy and snide. And she's that wacky redhead with Ethel at her side. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's a sound drop. Uh, Christian Schall, Lucille Ball. Uh, Okay. Well, I was like, hey, John Farnes. I don't fucking know. (laughs) All right, Joe. John Lee Miller has this Watson nearby. Johnny Lee Miller. What'd I say? John. Oh, Johnny Lee Miller. Thank you. Johnny Lee Miller has this Watson nearby. And she replaced Marg Helgenberger over on CSI. Lucy Liu and Elizabeth Shue. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Tara. Yeah. The worst boss Dunder Mifflin has ever seen. He plays the Green Arrow, a.k.a. Oliver Queen. Um, mm, Steve Carell and St- Stephen A. Mel. Okay. All right, Eve. Speaking of sex, he is the masters. His beheading in Westeros triggered many disasters. <laughs> Sean Bean and Michael Sheen. Correct. Yeah. All right, Mark. She's back. Sam yep. Seaborn and Chris Traeger share his handsome face. She was Dr. Uh, Christi- uh, Christina Yang over at Seattle Grace. Rob Lowe, Sandra Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sarah. He's Scandal's scheming chief of staff. He'll help you play Plinko and always gets a laugh. Eh. Asterisk. Always gets a laugh. Uh, Oh, my God. What is goddamn Mr. Katimsky's goddamn... (laughs) Jeff Perry. Yes! Yes! That was a gorgeous pull, Sarah. (laughs) Stupid wolf. All right, Joe. Yes. Thanks, Mark. Growing Pains, he's the dad, a psychiatrist doc, and he was News Radio's Matthew Brock. Alan Thick and Andy Dick. Correct. All right, bring us into our... Put those two last names together. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Bring us into our second score break. Yes, sir. She faced the big C and tried not to go bananas. Over at Oz, he was a manager of McManus. This doesn't really rhyme, but whatever. Uh, Laura Linney and Terry Kinney. Correct. Steppenwolf. Yeah. Well, uh, the scores are exactly more or less where they were. Even Sarah tied with four. Mark and Joe and I are tied with eight each. All right. And let's wrap it. There we go. There you go. (laughs) All right. Back to Eve. Had a little trouble with some buttons. Head surgeon at the Knickerbocker, known as the Nick, Claire on Modern Family, upper butt, there's a stick. (laughs) Fact. (laughs) Clive Owen. And that skinny lady. (laughs) Tara's sworn enemy. (laughs) One of several names. Julie Bowen! Julie Bowen! (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. No problem. (laughs) Can't be Betty White. She already came up. For Mark, Supergirl's foster dad, once of Lois and Clark, Al Swergen, saloon owner who kept Deadwood quite dark. Dean Kane, Ian McShane. 
Oh. That is correct, sir. Sarah. All right, designers, make it work, so says he. On the newsroom, she was Sloan with an economics PhD. I, having successfully avoided the newsroom, I'm just going to have to guess. Tim Gunn and, why not, Olivia Munn. Yeah! Yay! <laughs> well All done. Right, he's Frank on hey. House of Cards, no question he's bad. And he's Frank on Shameless, Frank is the dad. <laughs> Joe knows. Evan Spacey and William H. Macy. Sorry. Yeah. As creator of 30 Rock, she did the employing, and she, on her cooking shows, is just fucking annoying. <laughs> Tina Fey and Rachel Ray. <laughs> Stephanie Lucianovic write this? <laughs> All right, everybody's got two questions left. Oh, boy. Everything's still tied up top? Yep. yep. Hot lips and on at the back. Hot lips on MASH, head nurse who's tough, and Janet on Three's Company, who's usually had enough. For Eve. This is me, right? Yep. yep. Loretta Swit. And guest, Joe. Joyce DeWitt. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> We're from the 70s. We know these. <laughs> Wesley Crusher, Mark. Wesley Crusher from Next Generation. Raymond's wife in permanent frustration. Uh, Will Wheaton. Patricia Heaton. <laughs> Correct. All right, Sarah. Willow's boyfriend on Buffy, a werewolf and such, he was canned from Two and a Half Men just too much. Wow. Um, Seth Green and Charlie Sheen. Nice. Correct. Joe. Yes. He was the lead of Damages lawyer Patty Hughes. He was the family's ties dad with liberal views. I think you meant she. She was the head. The lead of Damages, lawyer Patty Hughes. Okay, he sorry. was the family ties dad with liberal views. Sorry. Glenn Close and Michael Gross. All right, Tara. Yep. You guys. On Grey's Anatomy, she's the titular Grey. <laughs> and she was Adriana, killed in the mafia way. Ellen Pompeo, Drea DiMatteo. Very nicely done. Thank you. Killed so in a mafia way. <laughs> <laughs> well, accurate. <It's> true. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good lyric, eh? Yeah. yeah. Down Mafia way. All right. So everybody's tied up top still, right? Yep. Right. Yep. Eve, here's your last question. Okay. Bob Newhart's first TV wife, the smoky voice brunette, Dan Fielding on Night Court, of many shows he's a vet. So, so it's... Wait. What's... John... John Arquette? No, that's not right. Julia, I don't know. Julia Duffy doesn't rhyme with anything. It doesn't Suzanne matter. Suzanne Plachette, John Shit. Arquette. All right, okay. Mark, here's John your last question. Larriquette. She's, she's Scandal's Millie Grant, who has dealt with such strife. She's a reporter and anchor and Maury Povich's wife. <laughs> uh, Connie Chung... And Barbara Jung. Oh, I don't know. I love that guess though. <laughs> Bellamy Young. Yeah. Oh, with the teeth. Yeah. The teeth. She was so expressive on Celebrity Jeopardy. Mark. Star of Election. Yep. And she was in that Law and Order episode where she uh, killed all those people. She sure was. All right, Sarah. Here's your last question. She was Mulder's partner, skeptical but fair. He was E. B. Farnham, Deadwood's Weasley Mayor. E. B. Farnham. 
Um. Oh my God, I've just forgotten Scully's name. <laughs> like I literally forgot her name. I don't. I actually don't know who Ebi Farnham is either. So I don't know. All right. Well, it's William Sanderson. Yeah. Anderson. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Joe and Tara still have a question left. Correct. You're both tied, right? Correct. Yes. All right, Joe. Yes. <laughs> we are staring at each other through time and space, even yeah, though we seriously. can't see each other. <laughs> he started on ER. Now it's the librarians he's on. She's from two, True Detective, the one married to Vince Vaughn. Uh, Noah Wiley and Kelly Riley. Yes. <laughs> All right. So that means Joe's currently in the lead, right? Finally, right. Kelly Riley does someone some good. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> the first time in her life. All right, Tara. Yes? <laughs> got to get this to tie it up. Yep. On The Price is Right, for 35 years, he would host it. On Sex in the City, she was broken up by Post-It. <laughs> Bob Barker <laughs> and Sarah Jessica Parker. All right. Oh, All right. Let's get those scores <laughs> at the end of regulation questions, okay. I think. Eve and Sarah ended tied with six each. Mark had 10. Joe and I have 11 apiece. All right. So that means it's a tiebreaker time (sighs) between Joe and Tara. Yep. Uh, I will read the question. Mm -hmm. I will try to compensate. I have a pretty good uh, ear for the delay now. Mm -hmm. All right. (laughs) So I will read the... uh, Whole question. Please don't answer until the whole question is read. Okay. And then the first person to shout out both correct names wins. Okay. All right? Yes. You ready? Yes. Ready, Tara? Yes. Ready, Joe? Yes. I'm not really ready, but go ahead. (laughs) Yes, he was Benson and a Tomy-nominated thespian. (laughs) She was fired as ADA. Was it because she was a lesbian? Robert Kiyama, Elizabeth Rome. Oh! Yay! Wow. Joe. What an ender question. Yeah, for real. Fantastic. Rob Hartman, he knows Rob how Hartman, to build suspense. So, yeah. yeah. There is another uh, one. Do you want to play that one? This, sure. this is, okay. Yeah. This clue's a little no, longer, so listen closely, player. This clue is a little longer, so listen closely, players. In the Lot of Order universe, they're both ADAers. On Mothership and SVU, and the LA clone as well, they're Connie Ruby, Ruby Rosa and Barbara Raphael. Oh. Tough one. De La Garza and Esparza. Yeah. 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 That's correct. Good job, Mark. Mark, that's, wow. uh, that's, uh, uh, um, let's see. Uh, five, five day points. Five day yeah. points. Okay. That Good is it down. for another episode of Extra Hot Great. Uh, we sampled the latest offerings from Empire's second season. Gordon Lightfoot told us all about Dude Rescues. Sarah told us all about American Scandals before we went around the dial with stops at... Oh, uh, American Horror Story. Thank you. The Wiz, Great uh, Pottery Throwdown, Transparent, Homeland, and Fargo. Mark's choice of Six Feet Under's finale finds new life in the canon. We crowned winners <laughs> and losers of the week, and Joe was the winner of... Oh, wait. He was the winner, winner, rhyming dinner of this week's game time. <laughs> Joe! <laughs> Remember. We're listening. <laughs> I am David T. Cole, reminding you to visit previously.t for all your TV needs. See Joe at the decider.com or decider.com. Decider. Thank you. Uh, on behalf of Tara Ariano. Uh, drip drop. <laughs> Sarah D. Bunting. Anyone need a baby wipe? 
Joe Reed. Look out, Rhonda! Hey, baby. <laughs> I see what you did there, Taraj and Terrence's white hot holidays. And Mark Likenship. <laughs> I bought a streaming service. <laughs> we'll see you next week right here on Extra Hot <laughs> That's what she said. Oh, we just have to accept it. There's nothing else. We have to become hookers.